0: to the Childhood Rising podcast. This space and this business have been intentionally designed to bring together an empowered collective of parents, educators, carers, and other folk who are all journeying alongside children. Through this podcast and our support services, we aim to raise the well-being of the whole child, as well as the adults who walk alongside them. We talk about trauma-informed caregiving, play, and the importance of attachment, but also not being afraid to cover the difficult but deeply reflective conversational topics too. If you too believe in the inherent wholeness, competence, and contribution children have to offer this world, then you're in the right place. Thank you for joining us here for another episode on Childhood Rising, the podcast. Whether you are a first-time listener or you're a returning listener, I welcome you and I am excited to welcome our guest today, Dr. Carrie Rigoni. Dr. Carrie Rigoni is a chiropractor who works with mums and babies to optimize their baby's brain development and set them up for lifelong health. She loves talking about all things vagus nerve and all the factors that can influence brain development. She has a busy practice here in Perth, WA. And is passionate about optimizing the vagus nerve, supporting mums through periods of dysregulation and helping mums understand what they can do to support their baby's vagal tone too. Dr. Carrie is passionate about using the online world to educate mothers on the power of the vagus nerve and also offers a group coaching program for mothers and their children. So welcome Carrie, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So we're just going to dive straight in and get started with some of the basics, some of the fundamentals, and I'm sure that lots of those who are listening might be completely new to this whole vagus nerve thing. So let's start with that. What even is the vagus nerve? What's its function and why do you think it's important?
1: The vagus nerve is the largest cranial nerve in the body and it starts up in our brainstem, which is like the primitive part of our brain. And it goes down the front of our neck, underneath our collarbones, into our chest cavity, all the way through our stomach and digestive organs, all the way to our pelvic floor. So it spans pretty much our whole body where we have organs and it has all these little projections that literally go to every organ in our body. Now, it has two functions. And the first one is the one that most people may have heard of. So, this is uh, what's called the autonomic nervous system. It is how our nervous system controls blood pressure, heart rate, breathing rate, you know, all of those things that happen without us thinking about it. Um, The vagus nerve's role in the autonomic nervous system is like a break. So, if we experience stress, a healthy vagus nerve um, actually kind of puts the brakes on mm. and slows our heart rate back down, slows our breathing back down when we feel safe enough to do so, of course. Um, and it kind of calms our body.
0: Right. So but- it's sort of like this control panel for the, yeah. the nervous system. Would that be a fair way of explaining it?
1: Yeah. I kind of describe it that like, you know, that, the sympathetic nervous system or how we activate our fight-flight response, that's like the accelerator, and then the brake comes on later. (laughs) So the vagus nerve kicks in once we need that brake to turn back on and slow everything back down.
0: Okay. So if that brake isn't working and that vagus nerve isn't functioning at, I guess, its fullest capacity, what sort of things might you be seeing, say, in a child?
1: So what happens when the vagus nerve is what's called low tone, so this basically just means when the vagus nerve is, I guess, underactive or through no fault of its own, perhaps the rest of the nervous system is telling it to stop working for that moment, we can get stuck in a state of fight or flight Mm -hmm. um, or sympathetic activation. So sometimes, um, and it can get a little bit complex, but the the moment we go into a fight-flight response or the moment our nervous system detects a threat, which is also vagal-mediated, what happens is the vagus nerve shuts down and says, we don't need the brake right now. We need the accelerator. But you imagine if you have the accelerator on and your brakes are broken, (laughs) Uh then you can get stuck in that fight-flight, that really heightened activation. Um, And when it comes to kids, that might look like, um you know emotional dysregulation. It may look like children who need so much external safety cues, whether that's um, you know, relying on their primary caregiver, like you know, their mum to provide those cues for them. Um, some kids prefer just to try and control their external environment. So it might be um, what they do with their toys or who they let touch their things, or, you know, those kids who just really need that strong sense of control of what's happening outside of their body. Um, And other kids are just, you know, a bit hypervigilant, maybe a bit wired, struggle to fall asleep, um, struggle to calm down after a stress has happened. So we, you know, we know that stress happens to all of us and that's not really the problem. The problem is when we can't get out of it. Um, mm. So the children can often sit, you know, they stew in that stress response or maybe even with the best co-regulation ever, they still can't unwind and they can't actually co-regulate with you to get back into a regulated right. state.
0: So it mm. it sounds like because this vagus nerve, Is such a central part of our anatomy I guess and it does run that whole course of our body it's got implications not just for like emotional well-being but other physical health implications as well I know you mentioned sleep but does it would a um, under-functioning vagus nerve present as uh, issues and other aspects of a child's development or presentation? So like their physical health or anything like that? Or is it predominantly emotional wellbeing that you're seeing?
1: Um, the other big one that it impacts is gut health. Mm. So because the gut is so long, <laughs> you know, though it's compacted into our bellies, yeah. Um, we there's a lot of opportunity, I guess, for things to go awry. So sometimes a child who's having... Um, I guess, who's stuck in that stress state, whose vagus nerve isn't activating the way it ought to, may have tummy aches that are unexplained or, um, you know, I guess sort of like that irritable bowel presentation. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't matter what food you give them, but either they get a bit constipated or they get the runs or there's just no consistency in their um, digestive health.
0: It's almost it's almost like affecting the regulation of the Gut, in a sense, and that that might be a system that's regulating itself normally. But when the vagus nerve is impacted, it can have an impact on how well that's that's being regulated. Is that is that an accurate way of putting it?
1: Yeah. So the vagus nerve, in terms of the gut, actually controls how quickly our gut contracts to push waste out of our body. Right. So sometimes, if there is a dysregulation or a bit of a disconnect. But in those vagal branches, you might have really slow contraction, which would look like constipation, or you could have really fast contraction, where you know, like things get pushed through much faster than they ought to.
0: Yeah. Or well, what are some of the causes, maybe, that you're seeing of why someone would have that lower vagal tone, or um, you know, their vagus, their vagus nerve isn't optim, isn't functioning as um, best it could? Like, what are some of the reasons why that might happen?
1: A really big one is stress. Mm. And that's going to look different for an adult than a child. But um, you know, I do see patterns run in families, unfortunately, that um, oftentimes if the mum is really stuck in a fight-flight response throughout their whole pregnancy, then that's what how that baby's nervous system is going to learn how to deal with stress, like that becomes that baby's normal as well. So there's some limited research to suggest that pregnancy stress is a really big um, influencer of vagal tone. Um, And then, you know, once a child is not in the womb and out in the world, I think um, the really big things that I see in my practice are um, things such as chronic mouth breathing, um, you know, jaw dysfunction, even um, you know, an inflammatory diet that's impacting the gut? Um, they're probably the biggest things, yeah. Yeah.
0: And you started to mention about the family impact of all of that. So what would be some of the things adults, us adults might be seeing if our vagus nerve isn't functioning at its best? So, you know, this could be, I know you predominantly work with parents, but I do have educators and other professionals that listen as well. So what mm. what would th- those adults typically be seeing?
1: The most common pattern that I see in an adult is that they they know they're stuck in fight flight mm. and they might even be addicted to it, you know, in yeah. the sense that if they try and unwind that stress response, it feels really yucky and uncomfortable and they don't know how to be in that state. So their familiar is like it might be just a low grade urgency or wanting to be busy All the time, you know, through the spectrum to, um, you know, perhaps complete burnout. Whether that's you know in the past or present, um, where they've just pushed that limit so far, but they don't know how to be any other way to stop. You know, yeah, Yeah. it's
0: like this pattern. Sometimes we get stuck in that way of being for years. So to unpack all of that is a massive process in and of itself, isn't it? Like I can fully resonate with times in my life where I have felt like I just can't stop. Like resting feels, like you say, really uncomfortable and like wrong in some way.
1: Yeah. And it's this downward spiral with our stress regulation, because, you know, the the vagus nerve, um, its primary um, function is detecting safety in the world or in our body. And the moment it doesn't sense safety it starts to sense threat it shuts off to allow our stress response to activate which is normal and that's what we want like we need that stress response but then what happens if we stay in that stress response for too long the nervous system says well vagus nerve we don't need you to shut us off so then we kind of go i i just call it this downward spiral we go down a spiral and then we get more stressed and we can't get out of it, but we don't know what to do. So we get more stress, like nothing. We lose, completely lose the brakes and we just keep going on that accelerator until we hit the wall.
0: Yeah, it almost seems like if we're not using that vagus nerve, like not flexing the muscle, you know, it's not a muscle, it's a nerve, but we're <laughs> yeah. losing the strength of that muscle. Does that make sense? Like that's, yes. that's what it's sounding like to me, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, you know, in a perfect world, Our vagus nerve would work when we need it to, but we are starting to come into this world. And I think it's a cultural problem too, where we're just like constantly bombarded, you know, even on a sensory level with tech and, you know, how busy our roads are and everything. Um, We're just not giving ourselves the time and space to be able to um, activate our vagus nerve anymore.
0: And that's so true for our kids too, right? Like we think we're busy as adults with work and parenting and all our other obligations and responsibilities, but so often now our kids' days are filled with school and then extracurricular activities and, you know, there's, they've got a lot on their plates too. So I can totally resonate how our with our, how our lifestyles and, yeah, these cultural influences are totally having an impact on, on the system.
1: Yeah, yep unless we're mindful of it, it just, um, it never stops. And then, you know, our children become adults who, you know, if you're feeling, listening to this and feeling burnt out and like you've been spending your whole life (laughs) in this fight flight, then, you know, really these early years are conditioning our children Mm -hmm. to sit in, in that same state because they don't know any different.
0: Yeah. 100%. I love that point. Do you have any strategies or tools that people listening could take away today to start to support the function of their vagus nerve or the vagus nerve of, of their child?
1: Yeah. The first, the the first really important step, which I think is the hardest for a lot of adults, particularly if they're stuck in fight flight is working on regulating your own nervous system because our children are sponges and they mirror their caregivers a lot. Um, A lot more than we would like to acknowledge, I think. (laughs) Um, But if you are completely dysregulated and in a chronic stress state, your subconscious messaging to your child or your student or, you know, whoever you're working with, is going to be that stress state. So you can say all the right things, um, you know, get down on their level, do all the right things, but their nervous system subconsciously already knows what's going on in yours. They don't have to, you know, you don't have to say anything. So step one is always come back to yourself um, and that inner awareness of where you're sitting today, like what your baseline is, and if you feel like you're really activated, um, working through down-regulating that before you try and co-regulate with any child.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that point because amongst all that busy is the fact that we often don't even take time to check in with ourselves doing, what are we needing today? How are we actually feeling? And yeah, we're just kind of going and not stopping. So yeah, I do. I'd love that. Is yeah. there practical strat- strategies that you would suggest for people in that process? Like what could they be doing if they're feeling like they have tried meditation and they just can't do it? Or they're just feeling like they actually just can't stop? Like, what are some of the strategies that you suggest that they could try?
1: Yeah, look, it can be really hard. And sometimes you do just need to take a giant break, which I know is not feasible <laughs> for everyone. Um, but there are there's kind of like a few things you can do. Neurologically, the the fastest way to stimulate your fight-flight response is to be staring at your phone or your computer all day. Um, because what happens is it makes our eyes converge and that immediately winds up the fight-flight. It puts us our nervous system on hypervigilance. And then if you add in dissociating on your phone, where you just sit down and scrolling, vertical eye movements actually makes it a lot worse. And we don't spend enough time rebalancing that with just like simple horizontal eye movements or looking far into the distance. Um, so it's it's not about avoiding tech, but it's about how can we mitigate the side effects of, of what our modern life is. And, you know, even just taking a moment to look out your window or stand on your driveway and look as far as you can down the street um, if you're feeling really amped up or activated and just walking away from your phone is like one of the most powerful things you can do
0: Mm, that is so interesting to me and also so realistic because when you know us as parents or professionals are told that we need to start meditating every day or you know putting more things into our life and it already feels like we've got so much on our plate it almost feels unrealistic but this is super realistic like yeah it can take like
1: Couple of seconds. Yeah. And so I often get my clients to do horizontal eye movements as well. There's like other fancy names for it, but literally like, that's what it is. Um, And it's so you would just keep your head straight on and shift your eyes to one side and hold it there. And then you can hold it for up to a minute. And oftentimes what you'll feel is some sort of release. You might yawn, you might sigh or um, you know, just feel like that washing over. And when you hit that, you swap sides. And you can do that while you're waiting for the kettle to boil, while you're at a traffic light, you know, like you can have it stack that. It's not like you need to remove yourself from your current daily activities to do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Even sometimes sitting like a timer on your phone or like a, an alarm on your phone to remind you to do these things can be helpful to like um, establish the routine, I guess, so that we're not just going through our day and forgetting to implement these things like yeah
1: yeah so oftentimes I'll get my um clients to put a sticker on their water bottle or something so every time they go for a drink of water they see that reminder and go oh yeah I'm gonna do that um or even just like that you know that inner um I've feel like a lot of people who are stuck in that fight flight have that, say they sit down on the couch to relax and then they have that inner restlessness and they Mm -hmm. want to pick up their phone just to be doing something. So that feeling that you get instead of reaching for your phone going, no, I'm going to do some of this horizontal eye movement first. I can still pick up my phone after if I want to, but I've at least activated my vagus nerve before I go in and then like amplify my stress response.
0: Yeah. Love that. And what about for our kids or the kids that we might be working alongside? Do you have any strategies or tools that uh, adults listening could be using with them?
1: Yeah. um, Kids, number one, they will definitely mirror their caregiver or whoever, you know, their teacher, um, et cetera. So it still comes back to you as first and foremost, Secondly, um, most work I do with children, to be honest, is more body work because mm-hmm. they respond so quickly. They have this innate desire to be regulated. <laughs> I think, honestly, it would be the co-regulation. I know that's, that can feel like a cop-out sometimes because it's like, well, I'm trying to do all that and it's really hard to do that. If, if co-regulation with your child is hard, then I would say your child needs more support in that area. Yeah, Um, whether that's with me or someone else who works in that nervous system field, um, to increase their capacity to be able to co regulate,
0: yeah, right. And that can also, again, like you've mentioned, be our stuff too, right? If we're not able to be with our child in that state, then sometimes that's that's about what's going on for us in that moment too, yeah,
1: yeah. So, like, you know, as an example, I had this beautiful family come see me. We started with the daughter who was quite dysregulated. Um, Teacher wanted her to go down um, a diagnosis route because um, she was struggling a bit at school. And um, I did my absolute best work on this girl and I was really happy, but we weren't seeing a huge shift in behaviour until then we started working on the mum. And then within a couple of sessions, the mum was like, oh my gosh, not only do I feel different, but my child is completely different. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I know, because, you know, as mums, we put ourselves last, but also we have the power to really shift the whole family dynamic or the classroom dynamic, et cetera, just with our own state.
0: Yeah, and I like the simplicity of it, too, because I think in this day and age, there's sort of this pressure to be teaching our kids mindfulness or teaching them breathing techniques or these other things that we should be doing or adding in. Whereas Mm -hmm. it's kind of pairing everything back, isn't it? Back to simplicity of just looking after ourselves as their parents or carers and being with them through that emotion, which is actually, you know, typically quite a developmentally appropriate expression of how they're feeling and not necessarily something, you know, some instances it's different, but not necessarily something we need to be changing. The goal isn't to have kids happy all of the time, but Mm -hmm. it's to sort of increase our capacity, for being with them during their emotions. Would you agree with that and the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do, I think I have a bias because my clinic is um predominantly children who are probably on the outskirts of what's developmentally normal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of what I guess what the textbooks say. Um I hate the word normal, but I'm sure you understand what I mean for the purpose of this yeah. combo. Yeah. Um so I see like the, the height of chronic dysregulation um, and I think, yeah, th- those one percenters definitely need um, some form of support um, and I see big shifts in my clinic with those kids. But, yes, for the most part, you're absolutely right, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. What are some of the ways that you work with people to support their vagus nerve function? And where can those listening find out a bit more about you and how they could work with you?
1: The best place is either my website, which is um, actually, I will just give you the link for that one, um, or uh, my Instagram, which is Dr. Carrie Rigoni. Um, I share heaps of free content on my Instagram and social media. And um, if you're looking for more one-on-one work, then that is all detailed on my website.
0: Thank you so much. I I follow you, of course, on Instagram, and I can be testament to the fact that you do share amazing content there. And I'll be sure to add the links to your website and your socials in the show notes of this episode as well. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.